And through the spiritual gifts that God has given me and the anointing that I carry, I'm able to see things beyond the natural and other people. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, hello. What's up, coworkers? What's up, coworkers? Welcome back to this week's episode of the We Outside After Work podcast. I'm your host, Dana. And I'm your boy, Aaron. And we got a special, special guest in the building today. We have Jasmine in the building. Shout out to Jasmine. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Jasmine for joining us this week. Yeah, Jasmine is a great friend of mine from way, way back. I'm talking about diapers. Um, <laughs> and Jasmine has been doing great work, especially on Instagram, just touching the base with her story um, and her objective to overcome. And we want to definitely get into that a little bit. But before we get into that, Jasmine, we want to break the ice just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually watching this video on Instagram. It was about Jeff Bezos. And Jeff Bezos was in a Honda. So the guy was like, you got $10 billion. Why are you in a Honda? He said, because it just got him over. So I want to know, if y'all had $10 billion, are you driving a Honda? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not either. I'm just, I'm just being, I may drive it, but I may have another car that I would like. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Honda's a great car. I actually have a Honda now. Um, but I feel like if I have 10, as we say, billion dollars, I want a car that I, yeah, I want a car that I want. Like, yeah, okay. no. What about you, Dana? I know you said you wouldn't, but I want some, I want some explanation. I wouldn't. Um, so I always say I, I just had this conversation recently because I really did. Um, there was one of the hosts from the Earn Your Leisure podcast. I think it was Rashad. And he made a reel about how people always say that billionaires aren't flashy. They don't wear like name brand clothes, but they're flashy in different ways. Like they're flashy with their cars, with their watches, um, women with their purses and with their shoes. So for me, like, I'm not going to be like dripped down a designer, but my, my car is going to be like, oh, that's somebody or she got money. So yeah, like I'm going to get a car that for me that I always wanted if I have that kind mm-hmm. of money. It's no. Not like, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, it's not even for me about like to be flashy to show that I have money. It's more of less like, what do I want that I've always dreamed about being in? It's more of like, something I couldn't afford when I didn't have $10 billion. And now that I have $10 billion and I can afford it probably 20 times over, that I'm going to get one. And it's going to be because I want it. I want to drive and comfortability. And that's really it. It's not about like, oh, let me be flashy. Let me show you I have this. It's like, I want it because I want it. Right. It's a dream car. Honda's a very, very like just an everyday car. I get to point A and point B. Like it does the job. Like, if you had ten billion dollars, you would still drive a Honda. If I have ten million dollars, the last thing I want for people to do is stalk me, follow me, and all right. Hold on, would it be a hoopty Honda or a new model? Be a hoopty. It's it's a feasible vehicle, right? It's it gets me to point A and point B. It don't make me seem too noticed. It just makes me seem really under the the radar, and that's oh. how I want to be as a billionaire. Like I don't mind. <laughs> having a little bit of pizzazz and flash, right? Like if I really want them Jordans or them Kobe's that Jaden wants for $800, maybe, right? But at the same time, I could do a Honda. It yeah. might be a souped up Honda. Like, right. Interior decked out. Yeah. yeah. I could do a Honda. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
But sure. I was I was all on the internet this week, and I was looking at a whole bunch of funny, just weird things. Well, I can ask the second question. Okay. Yep. So the second question is because you ready? I was ready. The second question, guys, is delivery drivers, right? Now, do you think they deserve the same tips as waiters if you were in an actual restaurant? What about what do you think, Jasmine? Um, I think delivery drivers deserve a tip. I don't know if I agree with it being on the same scale as a waitress of like 20 because how do you measure 18, 20, 22, or 15% based on the delivery? Because usually you're basing your tip upon how the service was given to you, right? And so I think they probably deserve a general tip based on your generosity or what you can afford. But I think delivery drivers picking up heavy boxes, walking them up steps, and, you know, it's a lot. Um, So I do believe people should tip them. I don't know if I, you know, I don't know what that is for, like, the same as waitresses, but definitely a tip. Mm -hmm. Aaron? They should be tipped the same if we tip them. If we're going to tip anybody, we should be customary. I personally don't believe that anybody should be tipped. I think that that should be something that Grubhub or DoorDash and Uber, I think they should handle that within their wages. But if we're going to have a society that tips, make it 20%, make it worth people's while. When I seen that boy carry them 30 boxes of pizza, <laughs> get up for $100, that is not 20%. That Wait, boy who, who carried 30 boxes of pizza? This, this boy was on a scooter with pizzas stacked up 30 high on his back in some mm-hmm. rich neighborhood. That deserves a tip. They gave him $100. That's great. No, it's not. Why not? Because if you do your math, his tip should be more than $100. Like Jasmine said, it's the generosity and what you think they deserve. Man, At least I'm- for me, when I give DoorDash or the delivery driver's tips, it's based on how I'm feeling, but if I get my food a little faster than the expected time, then yeah, I might give you an extra $2. But so, overall, it's just me feeling like, oh, let me tip you something extra because you're delivering my food. So you tip twice? Because I know with, with Uber, you tip as soon as you order. So would you tip them again? You have an option to add a tip afterwards. So for me, if it's early, I'll add like $2. Oh, yeah, they'd be mad at me. I don't review or nothing. I just... Oh, yeah. I'm reviewing, <laughs> commenting, posting pictures of my food, all of that. That's funny. But we do want to get into you, Jasmine, because you are a guest of honor, and we definitely want to get to know you a lot more. Um, so uh, you talk a lot about overcoming, and we want to know what that means. So uh, what does it mean to you to be an overcomer? Well, first and foremost, overcomer means to be victorious, right? That's like the direct definition of overcomer. Um, Where I got it from, it actually stems from the Bible. Um, And I have two, well, the scripture really is Revelations 12, 11, and I'll just read it and talk a little bit about it. Um, It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And basically, um, this happened where Satan uh, was fighting the archangel angel Michael in heaven. And basically, the angel won and Satan was defeated and he fell down from heaven. And basically, that's what they said, that he overcame by the blood of the lamb. 
And so it was the angel was victorious over Satan. And so um, <clears throat> it's just more or less from a place of victory. And in my own life, um, through my own trials and tribulations, I have overcome uh, a lot of things that were supposed to really probably take me out, um, keep me in bondage in a place where I was supposed to be stuck. Um, another scripture that I lean on is John 16, 33. And it says, these, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulations, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that's Christ talking about um, him overcoming the world, right? Having victory in the end. And we know that the world comes with problems and issues because we live in a world full of sin and the world is going to bring on sickness. It's going to bring on deaths, murders, and all these things that come with fallen people. And it's just saying, don't, don't worry. Like I have overcome the world and so can you. So it's a beacon of hope and also a possibility that we all can achieve to have victory. Love that. I actually came across your story today and the last thing you put up was, I don't know if it was a scripture or just you motivating everyone to just stay positive and whatever God has planned for you is going mm -hmm. to happen and going to come to fruition. So um, what do you say to people who feel like you know, things are taking longer than they expected or things are happening faster for the people and they're still just waiting for their blessings to come and then they eventually lose faith. So like, what kind of advice would you give those people? Um, thank you. That's a good question. I think that's most people. Um, and I think the Bible does a lot of people. Right, right. I mean, that's me right now. Like I'm waiting. And I was just uh was talking about this on my prayer call about uh giving a prophetic word back in 2023. God gave me a prophetic word over my life that's something that will come to pass. I've been waiting 10 years for my prophetic word. Um, and throughout that, throughout the 10 years, God so graciously has been able to gently remind me of his words still coming, right? through different prophets or different people in prayer. Oh, God is saying this. And I was sharing that I got frustrated um, with the last time I got the, I received the same word in September. And when I hung up the phone, I was just like, God, like, well, when is it coming? Because I've been waiting. Like, you've been telling me this since 2013. Like, you know what I mean? And I, I acted out in what I, what I call it, I threw a tantrum. Um, acted like a little kid. Um, when is it? When is it? I want it now. I want it like kind of vibe. And then I repented and I just thanked the Lord for his love and reminded me that I'm not forgotten. Reminded me of the promise that he said. Reminded me that my timeline is not his timeline, right? And being encouraged through his strength of just changing my perspective and understanding that my mindset is not Christ's mindset. My timetable is not his timetable. And although I've been waiting for something, he still reminds reminding me that it's coming. He's still saying, oh, it's, it's on its way. It's on its way. And I, when it does happen, it's going to feel like it's a suddenly. It's going to feel like it happened quick. If we look at the story of David, we see that after David defeated Goliath and he was crowned king, he went back into the um, uh, uh, fields, right, to tame the animals. And he waited 24 years to be crowned king. I mean, to actually walk in the position of it. And so we see other people throughout the Bible waiting. Waiting is like a posture. Waiting has been a thing. That's why I said um, long suffering is called patience. It's called to wait, right? Yeah, to be patient. 
And so what I would encourage people is to continue to stay close to God, continue to change perspective and understand his characteristics, right? God's characteristic is faithfulness. God's characteristic is a promise keeper. And we see that throughout his word and who he is. So although it may tarry, right? It will sure come to pass. And that's found in Habakkuk too, right? It will come to pass, although we have to wait. And sometimes, um, it can get discouraging and you got to have, you just renewing your mind really, and just be encouraged that it will happen. If you believe God said it, it will come. Um, right. Yeah. I do think if you got that, um, that vision, or you just got that belief that something is meant for you, it is eventually going to happen. I can relate to that because I want to say back in 2022, I spent probably half of the year looking for a new job. And it was after my current job at the time, like there were just so many signs that it was time to go because it was just so much gaslighting they were doing for me. And behind the scenes, like nothing was really happening to um, elevate my position. So it came down to a point of this year, my well old position, they ended up saying that my department was going to be terminated and that they were get, letting everyone go and they were moving the department overseas. So at that point, like I did feel defeated, but I'm like, let me keep pushing. Let me keep putting my resume out there. And a job that I didn't even apply for, like a recruiter reached out to me and she gave me all the details. And this was during a time where like, I was going through so much family, um, just health issues, like dealing with mom, my grandma. So at this point, this was like, I needed some type of win. So that just gave me the courage and the faith to keep on going. And ultimately I got the position right after. Yeah. Glory. And the waiting season, um, it produces something. Right. And a lot of times it shows you about yourself. And sometimes the waiting season will produce the very thing that's needed for the next level. So let's just say if we looked at, uh, you know, how you play a video game and to win the game is level 20 and you're at, let's say you're at five and it's like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. But you're like, you're so eager to get to the next season, the next level, the next step in your life. And you don't even know what's required from you. You don't even know that you don't even attain the tools to even be able to even last or survive the next season of your life. And sometimes we want a new job. We want a new career. We want to move to a new location, but you don't even know what's in that territory. You don't even know what you need to be able to not be touched, to be covered. And see, these are all the things that we don't see and God does. So he's saying, oh, I got to I gotta wait her out. I got to be able to know that she can withstand. I got to give her the, the spirit of endurance. I got to give her that muscle. That's how I felt. Like, I right. felt like I needed the endurance to really appreciate my next steps as well. So yeah. I am grateful. Right. <laughs> so what about the skeptic, though? What about what? What about the skeptic, the person who, yeah, it all sounds good, religion, God, all of this glory, it all sounds amazing, but I don't see the results. And I know we're talking about the levels to get to point A to point B, but patience isn't everybody's strong suit. So mm-hmm. how do I overcome that patience through religion? How do I put that faith in God? Where does it come from? Where did it come from for you, if you can give somebody that perspective? Um, so I don't look at 
what I do as religion, right? And so for me, I think religion is a place of bondage and captivity, and that's just only for me. Um, I think that as we are followers of Jesus Christ, right? Um, God wants us to have relationship. I always say relationship over religion, um, mm-hmm. and that has been my motto and will always be my motto. When God came down here to come in a human form, he came down to have relationship. Right. And in relationship that he had with his disciples and everybody else that he met, as we've seen as he before he was crucified, he was in relationship. He talked, he spent time with them. He he taught them. He trained them up. He was their teacher. Right. Not only their master, but their teacher. He, he gave them things. Right. And so when he died for us on the cross, he died for each individual. He died for Aaron. He died for Dana. He died for every person that's watching this video. He, you were a fault in his mind because of, because of the relationship that he wants to have. So even as we are, for me per se, I grew up in church real quick. Um, I didn't really have relationship. I didn't really know God. I knew God in my mind. I saw my grandparents and what they did. So my grandparents really modeled what it was to be believers in the home. So I kind of had a, yeah, I had a model of like, oh, okay, this, they go every day they prayed on, the, they got on their knees, they prayed, you know, worship. They were like, oh, this, they did they the real thing. They're not modeling. They're not pretending they are what they are. But I didn't have that. I went to church because my grandmother made me. In college, I told God that I wanted to meet him. And um, I went and I started to do the work of seeking him for myself. What does it look like to know God for myself? Not know God through my grandmother, but know God for Jasmine. Um, And not what the pastors or preachers talk about on the pulpit, because that's all good, but I don't know that. There's no emotional attachment to this God that you're talking about. Because you want me to believe something that I don't have an emotional attachment to. So I needed to know him for myself. I need to have intimacy with this person, right? When you are in relationship with somebody, you, you know your friends, you know your spouse, there's a level of intimacy that you share. So with God, he's calling us to have intimacy with him so that we can know him for ourselves. So without the shadow of doubt, despite the the enduring, the waiting time, the patience and all these things we may not have, we learn to cure it through his process of relationships. So anyway, I went through so much adversity. Um, okay. So much mm-hmm. adversity, um, in the process of seeking the Lord, but through the adversity, God showed up and, um, I would, I would get up, I would pray, I would fast, I would read his word. I started a prayer call my freshman year with my friends on the phone. We started reading the word of God together. So I was doing the steps to really press in cause I was desperate for his presence. And then God started to, that's the first time I heard his voice audibly. That's the first time I started to he started to give me dreams and visions and show me things about myself. So he started to reveal him into me because of the process of me seeking him. And so I started to realize like, oh, okay, God, this is you. And then I went through, and it'll probably come up through some of the questions, but I went through a really bad traumatic um, season in my life of trying to find out, like seeking the Lord. And I was very angry with God. And I felt very forsaken by him. And I wrote in my journal all of my feelings and how I felt because I couldn't understand. My brain couldn't comprehend, God, why would you allow this to happen if you're God? Like, like I don't get it. Like, you're God. You could have interceded. You could have stopped. Like, you're God. And um, I wrote in my journal two day, a couple of days later, a week later, I went to a revival at my at my school because um, I went to a Christian college. And the pastor at the time asked us if we wanted to come up for prayer. And when I went up for prayer, 
um, he recited back to me what was in my what was in my journal. And he said, God, um, God, God was with you when that man took advantage of you. Right. And that's what I wrote to God. Like, God, um, your word says that you'll never leave or forsake me, but I feel forsaken. That's what I said. And I said, why did you allow him to take advantage of me? That's my exact words. And so a couple of days later, when I go and I'm still seeking the Lord in my brokenness, he, he responds back. And that's relationship. I spoke his word, right? His word, it says, God says, my word is living. So if yep. God has a living word, when I send the word out and it doesn't come back void, it has to respond because we're in relationship. The word is God. So if I speak the word back to him, God has to, God is speaking back to me. And my heart was open to receive whatever he had to say. He spoke through a vessel and then I just went down and worship. And then that's how I started to realize like, oh, God hears me. I'm being heard. And I was in adversity. I went through, really, I, I was raped. I got pregnant from it. And, and I'm still seeking the Lord. I'm still in a process of not understanding. Things are happening at my process of trying to find out who God is. I would just say for anybody with that is just, it's the pressing through. It's the overcoming. It's the knowing that victory is at the end. You have it. And what the enemy will do is he wants to keep you believing the lie because we live in a kingdom of light in the kingdom of dark, right? There's, there's a, it's a competition. It's a battle. And the kingdom of dark wants to keep you in the kingdom of dark. It's deception. It's lies. It's, it's distortion. So when you then trying to go into the kingdom of light, it's still a pulling to keep you here. No, let me come back. Let me keep you with this. So what the enemy wanted me to do is think that God doesn't love you. God forgot you. His word says this, but then why he let you do this? But if we right. understand we live in a fallen world, people are full of sin. People operate through demonic spirits and people do something to you. Mm -hmm. but God is still with you. So it's like, but your mindset has to know that people don't understand the spiritual world. So when you have lack of knowledge, we perish and that's biblical. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit of that. I don't even know if I answered the question. You answered the question and, and then some, but first and foremost, I do want to say that you are very strong and we commend you for um, telling that story, like a very vulnerable point in time that you went through. So I'm sorry that happened to you, but clearly you are like strong and you're probably going to become even more stronger as you continue your spiritual journey. But I did want to point out something that you mentioned about how when whatever you wrote down in your journal, you noticed it was something that the pastor said as you were sitting for that, um, what is that called? Oh yeah, I went up to the altar and he came up to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. I do feel like God does speak in ways that you can understand. And he talks to you through things that, you know, you'll be able to relate with. So for me, for example, I'm, I feel like I'm very spiritual and I do have faith. I don't necessarily follow a specific religion, but I do believe in God and Jesus. And for me, like I have very vivid dreams or I'll have some like really strong feeling and intuition about either something that's going to happen or um, something that like I know I'm, I'm destined to do or I need to complete. So I can relate in that way. And I do feel like when people are more open to accepting things that are there is their calling, they can more so like accept the message from God and Jesus and follow that path. But a lot of people are very cynical and close-minded. And to me, I feel like they don't pay attention to the signs and they don't want to pay attention to the signs. So for mm -hmm. the people who, um, let's say they're not that tapped in and connected, like what advice would you give to them 
in order to open up more to receive those messages? Um, my favorite words are surrender, release, and intentionality. <laughs> um, and I say that because without surrendering your own thoughts, without surrendering your way, your approach, and how it's supposed to look, you're going to be running in similar cycles and doing the same thing. Um, surrender, yeah. release, release whatever it is that you think. And then intentionality is being intentional in the process, right? So if you're going to say, hey, let me figure out if, let me, let me try God out. Cause a lot of people sometimes will say they don't believe in Jesus or they don't believe in God. And they've never like kind of done the work to really see if this is really true, right? Like they're like, oh no, religion, religion. They put, they restrict God and put him in a box because a lot of times, like I said, it's in the adversity that God will show up. And you know what I mean? And I think people have a way that God will look to them and it's of like how he would show up. Like, that's how I did. I was like, oh yeah, God, I want to seek you. I want to, I want to meet you. I'm thinking it's going to be like roses and stuff. And it was like one of the hardest years of my life. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it was, you know, just dealing. And then I was just dealing with so much, but it was that, that pushed me, right. Being broken at his feet, push his, push his exposure, right. Or me to open my eyes to get to see. And I believe, um, I would just tell people that to be intentional on the journey, don't give up when it gets hard. We can be people that give up a lot. We give people that just kind of tap out. And have you ever seen that picture of like, uh, they're like a guy is like underneath the ground and he's like moving and then yeah. you like he's he stops right he stops right like right, right. at the break right at, right, right after getting a diamond or whatever is there and that's most of us that's most of us like right before the breakthrough happens you're like this is the breakthrough you're like right here because you're just tired and you're being worn out and i would just say like just keep going and and that's why you have to do this walk this life with people like-minded people <laughs> We need community. You you can't, like God talks about community. Community is so important. You're not going to be strong every day. You're going to be dealing with emotions and things and you need people to speak back into you, to lift you up and to hold you up. If God says, cast your burdens, we wear, cast your burdens on him. But he also said, we wear each other's burdens as mm -hmm. the body of Christ. So it, it is, you know, you need those. I would say community, surrenderance releasing and intentionality and continue to seek God for itself. And God says in his word in Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. That's a promise. That's a mm -hmm. promise. And I think that's where a lot of the skepticism tend to comes from, right? Where we got a whole bunch of people that want everything right now. And then you get so much confusion in different iterations of all the same thing. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I, I, I told myself, when I was a kid, I'm not religious. I don't believe in, I don't believe in God. I'll be an atheist. Right. But then at some point in time, something flipped for me mm -hmm. where I don't need the specificity for right now. I need the faith, right? Everything says the same thing. If you just follow the, the blueprint, follow the rubric, oh. it'll get you to that point. But eventually mm -hmm. you're going to find that proper faith that you're going to get to and you're going to break through. Go ahead, Dana. I was going to say a uh, question for you, Aaron. What was that moment that you felt like, okay, now I have faith since you were so against and had that, um, you know, atheist kind of point of the view. The crazy thing is I actually talked to Jasmine about this when I asked in her video like last week or so. Um, and I was at a, a Bible study in high school, my senior year, one of my teammates used to always take us to like random Bible study, just random days in a week. 
And it was a, a lesson on forgiveness. Um, and it was just something about it that just resonated to me because it's like people going to do you wrong in life. These people change. You change. You don't need to harbor that resentment. You need to just continue to stay focused, stay locked in, stay faithful. Because at the end of the day, life goes on. Even if you were done as wrong as wrong as wrong gets, you can't take that moment back. So you're going to keep looking on it. It's going to keep haunting you and be daunting in your future. And you're just holding yourself back from getting to where you need to go. So that was a lesson for me. That was something I needed to hear. Um, mm -hmm. and that's what allowed me to be a lot more positive because I was a little negative, little crazy little kid when I was younger. So um, I needed moments like that where it really helped me and shaped me. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Not out to forgiveness. Forgiveness. <laughs> not yep. easy. So, um, for Jasmine, do you? What's your business that you um, help people? You know, find like overcome their adversities. Like, what? What helped you come about wanting to create a business around that? Um. So, uh, interestingly enough, uh, God. So, the prophetic word that I got, which was "beauty for ashes," was what I was given in 2013. Um, and beauty for ashes basically, um, means, uh, double for your trouble. So everything that you've been through, God said that he's going to give you double for, right? So it's kind of like an exchange. So like for mourning, he's going to give you joy, right? For like the things that you support for the bad, but it's going to be double. Right. And then, um, we, my, me and my best friend created 61 promises because beauty for ashes is found in Isaiah 61. And you could read the whole chapter because it's all, based on there, but we really um, kind of, we're kind of anchored in verses one through three. And it just talks about the spirit of the Lord being upon us and that he has called us to um, set the captives free, right? That people are poor in spirit and poor in spirit just means lacking knowledge, right? There's a poor, not really like poor in the spirit, they don't know. And so for to go out and claim the good news and set the captives free. So being able to talk about Jesus in a way where people um, will know, right? They'll see us as a testimony. They'll see, right? Even going back to Revelations of we are the living testimonies that God exists, right? Sharing the testimony, sharing the trials and tribulations in the dark places that God has taken us out. Because just because we're in Christ doesn't exempt us from experiencing the same thing that you have. And so long story short, um, God has just always put the desire in me to want to help people. Like when I was like 20, I've always like, I just want to change somebody's life. I always wanted to be like a therapist. I've always wanted to help people. Like that just always just has been just like a desire. Um, and God gave me that vision. Uh, my best friend and I, we just started writing, we started creating, and we just started to help people find their purpose in Christ. And through the spiritual gifts that God has given me and the anointing that I carry, I'm able to see things beyond the natural in other people. So I'm able to call certain things out of them to be able to kind of nurture that, right? And just nurture those seeds and pull out, like really just pull out the gift, pull out the purpose that God has called them and equip people to walk into what Christ has. So it's really an equipping that we do at 61 Promises. And then the overcomer thing came from I don't know. Um, I've always wanted to be somebody to talk or like a favorite door I can run my mouth. Um, but the enemy through my traumas of sexual abuse growing up, um, the sexual abuse started me early on, like at five. Um, the, and the enemy has put a muzzle over my mouth 
And a lot of people wouldn't know that, but there has been just really attacking my confidence and speaking and encouraging. And even sometimes posting videos, um, he could kind of start like, oh no, oh, you got to do it over. Like I could be very critical of my work. I could be very like unsure. And th that was a lot of like battle in the mind that I had to overcome, had to renew my mind with. I had to keep speaking God's word over because of trauma. Right. And then and him putting a muzzle here because of the anointing that's on me. And that's the thing. The enemy will attack you where God has anointed you. So the area that you are attacked the most is the area that you are anointed in. Because if he if I can get you to think that you're that you can't do something, you're going to be quiet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, for years, I was quiet, quiet. So one day I was upstairs. I was living in Hillside and I was just like, man, whatever. And I, I just turned on. I push record. And I just started telling my story. And I'm like, whatever, I'm going to post it. I don't even care. And I was so scared. And my first view, my first post got 1,500 views on Facebook. And everybody was like, oh, my. And it was like, wow. Like, they they listened. Yeah. And I started posting again. But then, like, it showed the evidence that people need me and got to keep showing and bringing people. But sometimes, every so often, I'll stop and the enemy will come and attack my voice again. And I'll go quiet for a couple of months. I won't say anything. I still do God's work behind him, but I won't come on. I won't come on social media. And God is like, he'll literally, people will call me up, send me text messages like, yo, I was looking for a video from you. Or, yo, I haven't heard you in a while. What's going on? We need you. We need you. We need you. And then that was a fight for me to get back there. Like, because I'm being attacked, like mentally with the voice. And so um, now it's a little different because I've kind of overcome that part, but overcomer literally just came out from my own story and God just, one day it just came out of my mouth and it just stuck. And I yeah. started to say, you know what, I'm going to create a podcast on teaching people how to, how to create intimacy with the Lord. Because I think, um, for me growing up in church, that wasn't taught to have relationship. They're not teach like to me I felt like that was missing. That was the missing link that's missing intimacy. How do I create intimacy with Christ? How do I build a relationship with somebody that everybody talks about but then puts you in this box? And I feel like if I can help people create intimacy and re build relationship with the Lord, you'll start seeing that on your own where you won't ever look back. You'll be like, "Yo." And that's because through my whipping, my pressing and my pruning, God took me through intimacy with him. And so giving people the steps to be able to know, hey, listen, this is this is how you do this. This is what this is mean. Let me take it out and expand your perspective on forgiveness. This is what it does with the heart. These are the seeds that's planted. Really breaking things down um, and you're building up the body of Christ, really. So that's where it started. Sorry, I don't even know. Yeah, no, I love the I love the long-winded responses. <laughs> yeah, I can just tell that you are anointed just from the conversations. I'm actually gonna follow you on Instagram from my personal page just so uh, that I can see the videos because I think mm, it's very informative. Yeah, no, Aaron, yes, you have great guests that come on the podcast, but I like when we have people who can teach something, not just mm -hmm. joining us just to join the conversation like you actually have something to say mm -hmm. so um i wanted to talk about your podcast like what's the name of your podcast and is it something you do by yourself or with friends well, my podcast was called coffee at the cross with jazz so it's kind of like i drink um i have i love coffee and um that's my like uh, that's how it started with me and god kind of my intimacy i would light a candle in the morning um Post some worship music on, have a coffee, and I would just talk to God. 
And I would, um, I started to also cook with Jesus. So that's what I used to say too. I used to cook and my thing was light a candle and I'll be cooking or talking and I would turn around and I'd be like, I'll envision Jesus for real. Like, talk sitting, like sitting in your- Yeah, sitting there and I'll have wow. conversations with him. Like, yeah, yeah. you know what, today, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> and, but I was building the muscle of just the dependence and growing in relationship with him. But I also just the sight. So Coffee at the Cross with Jazz just came like, let's talk about Jesus. Let's have real conversations about them. Let's grow in compassion. And because I I do, I graduated with social work, right? So naturally, just as a therapist, um, having having a different perspective of understanding, meeting people where they are. That's what that's what Jesus did. He met everybody where they are. If you see it, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that even when he interacted with people, sinners, and all of these, you know, different people that people kind of judged and overlooked. Um, he met them where they are. He spoke to them right where they were and he showed love. And so um, even gave correction in love though. And so for me, that's a place that Coffee at the Cross of Jazz is. It's just like, hey, those who feel overlooked, undervalued and forgotten by Christ, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Let's teach. Let's love on you. And um, if you're open and willing to come, let's just have coffee. It's like a conversation. So mm-hmm. it's me by myself. Um, I did season one I'm about to get back into do season two, but it's just me. Okay. Now I want to touch base a little bit on the sinners part because I think a lot of people try to cast judgment. We we know it, we see it, and people don't always do the right thing and they make mistakes. And we try to put them in this little bit of a box. But it t- it seems like you give people that grace to be forgiven. Like, how can you help others with that? Because I think we all need to to work on just forgiving people. And I think that's a very important step. I think um, taking our own emotion and opinions out of and coming from a place. I think everything has to be rooted in love. So if I'm having a conversation with um, somebody about sin, even as a mentor, right? Because 61 Promises is a mentor to women. So even if I'm talking to my mentees about something he did, it's being, first of all, prayer. So asking God to guide me through this conversation. Number two, having a conversation, gaining understanding of why they did something first, right? And then talking about like, okay, I understand that. And then reminding them of the standard that God has set for us as followers, right? So yes, you did this and um, reminding them through love and just kind of being like, cool, as long as you repent and forgive and walk away and keep going with Christ, you're forgiven. How can I condemn somebody when God extends grace? But God is also a God that judges. God is also a God of wrath, right? So like he's not, he is a God that loves. He is a God of grace. He is a God of favor, but he is also a God that doesn't play. Like we be forgetting the other part of Jesus. Like we just be like, oh, And I think there's just a reminding of somebody that, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And as your brother or sister, because I love you, listen, we know better. So, you know, like, okay, cool. Like if we talk about sex, sin and sex, right? Like, all right, cool. You struggling a little bit. How can I pray for you? What ways can I go? What boundaries can you put up to protect yourself from not going down this road again? Right? Like we want to make sure that we're postured in Christ. So what does that look like for you? You kind of put it back on the person to come up with their own ideas and then create maybe something to help them not again sin against Christ. Right? And then go forward. And it's a place of just bringing 
awareness and just helping them build that muscle to not sin. And that's where I try to come from for the most part. I mean, I'm not perfect in everything, but delivery matters. The place of love matters and just to be received. But that's what I would say. But to you want to help your brothers and sisters not sin. Like it's not calling out something. I think it's just how you do it. And one of the takeaways, oh, what'd you say, Erin? Accountability. Accountability. Yep. One of the takeaways that I got from what you just mentioned was taking your own emotions out of it. For example, when people have resentment towards their parents, right? Like they feel like they have so much trauma from their childhood because their parents did this, this, and this. So how can I forgive you if you treated me like this at a point in time when I was most vulnerable? But I do feel like you do have to give your parents grace to an extent and do forgive them because number one, um, they were growing as well. They were growing with you. And like you mentioned in the beginning, like they were they were probably getting equipped with the skills they needed as they were going along with raising you. So you can't necessarily hold them 100% accountable and say, well, you know, at this point in time, like you did all this to me, so I don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. Like, I feel like there is levels of, well, let me give you, let me forgive you and give you grace because now it is a different time. And I do feel like I'm grown now. So I have a better perspective on that point in time when I was at that age. I like that you said that. And I do want to comment and break that down just a little bit. Um, because I agree with the mindset that you came from, but I do want to say um, forgiveness does not mean that we have to also still be in relationship with people, right? Like, and I mean, I'm going to go on the mother and father thing, but let's say somebody did something and they're a repeat offender or something, right? And you, yeah. you, you, you like, you know what? I forgive you. You still, you're still in a relationship. I forgive you. I'm still in a relationship. You can forgive and not hold on to resentment. You, for, you can forgive and just say, I've learned my lesson with this person and it's just not conducive to my well-being to be in relationship with you. So although I may not hold any ill feelings, I do have to cut that, you know, branch off and continue to go well because it just doesn't work. But yeah. I also just keep doing the same thing over and over and it's getting right. worse. And I will say that that's just with anybody, right? Um, because I think people think when you forgive somebody that you have to stay in relationships with. And I don't mean romantically, just period, in relationships with people. And I, I, I personally don't agree with that. I don't think God asks for that. It doesn't say that. He doesn't say forgive 77 times 7 to say, and then you have to be in relationship. It's just because forgiveness is a heart posture. And I did a video on that. Uh, two days ago about forgiveness is a heart posture. And the reason why forgiveness is a heart posture is because we operate out of our heart, right? And the thing is, is that the seed of unforgiveness becomes planted in our hearts. And what the seed of unforgiveness does is that it builds up and what comes out of it, resentment, pride, bitterness, anger, all of these things come from the seed of unforgiveness. So as you are holding on to not forgiving them, you are now operating and your identity becomes bitterness. Your identity becomes anger. Because when that person, your mother, your father walks in the room, what happens? It triggers that emotion. That It triggers the unforgiveness, but whatever has manifested from the unforgiveness, which may be bitterness, resentment, or anger, your response to them is that way. And now you take Take on the identity of those things and you move that way, right? And then 
If you don't realize that your parents may not have certain tools to nurture you the correct way because maybe their grandmother and their grandmother and their grandmother and their grandmother did it to them and they they have done it to you, you are you are still emotional about it. But forgiveness does not excuse the offense. I mean, not the offense. The forgiveness does not excuse what was done to you because you still have to process the trauma that was done from their inability to be able to nurture your heart or their um, mishandling you because that's happens. Our parents have mishandled us and there is a need for grace. There is a need for forgiveness. There's a need for that, but it doesn't shortchange or make your process any different. It's just saying I release what unforgiveness will bring the, the hardening, the hardening of my heart. I release what unforgiveness will bring and I don't allow it to become my identity. And it, it wounded me. Now I have to deal with the wound. I have to heal. I have to deal with the emotional impact that it has caused me while also releasing that. And, and I could stay in relationship with my parents because when you have the mindset to know they just didn't have the tools. And guess right. what? If your mother, my mother's name is Crystal. It's like, also, maybe Crystal's going through her own trauma. Maybe she was going through her own stuff. Maybe somebody didn't love her enough. And that's all she knew how to get me. Going through her own trauma. Right. Humanizing your parents and taking the lens off of them being your parents and look at them as individuals. And a lot of people don't do that because um, we just see them as our parents. And you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. It doesn't justify the behavior. Forgiveness does not justify a behavior. It is setting yourself free so you won't be in bondage and captivity and bound to what unforgiveness will bring forth. That's really where forgiveness is important because it's freedom for you. That's true. It's freedom. In the last five minutes, I'm over here forgiving this and that and that. <laughs> yes, it's some things are harder. For example, just really quick, one of the I think one of the hardest things I had to forgive was the person who um who who raped me, and I forgave him in truth. I forgave him in spirit. I forgave him through faith, um, and wholeheartedly. Like I have no anger, nothing that springs forth when I think of him or whatever. And when I say think of him, like if his name comes up or anything, or even when I talk about this story, my heart isn't hardened. I'm not like, and I just realized, um, and I was able to have a conversation. He apologized too. Um, so it, it, it Wait, wasn't- so he was still in your life right now? No, like, he's not in my life. So I forgave him. And when I talk about shutting the door, the door is shut. Okay, yes. He's not in my life. But mm -hmm. a year after the incident occurred, um, he reached out to me on a number that, because I knew him. I knew him. Like, I low-key grew up with him. Um, and it happened. Um, and then a year later, he contacted me. And um, I wind up, I had asked my best friend, should I say something to him about everything I've been going through? Um, trauma. And she was like, nah. I was like, nah, I'm saying something anyway. And I wind up texting him a long paragraph of just like, the darkness I was in, the depression I was in, the contemplating suicide that I was in, just just couldn't forgive myself even having an abortion, right? Even though being pregnant wasn't necessarily my fault, but getting pregnant from the rape and then dealing with what, again, being bondage of like, oh, you're not supposed to get abortion, you're a murderer, blah, 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 blah. Having those thoughts that come in my head and dealing with that um, and just telling him, speaking on that, and then he just apologized, which was... He apologized to me. He took accountability. His thing was he was um, 
he was dealing with his own demons. That's from his word exactly. He was dealing with his own demons and it, he just wasn't in the right space and he did it, but he apologized. And I, but I already forgave him before the conversation. I was going to so, hmm? sorry to cut you off, but no. when you sent that message to him, were you expecting, like, let's say he didn't respond at all. Would that affect mm -hmm. your healing or no? No, because I already forgave him. That's why I said, that's why I added, I already forgave him before I text him. And I think that's why we have to, because he, I didn't know how he was going to respond. I didn't even know he was going to say, I didn't even know he was going to apologize to be transparent. Like, I didn't even think that was his, like, his body. Like, I didn't, I didn't think he was going to own up to what he did. And he took accountability of that, but it didn't, it wasn't about him. I didn't it was great to have his apology, right? It felt like, oh God, I'm not bugging, I'm not tripping, like, you know, whatever. But I yeah. did the work of releasing it. I went through therapy. I was already processing, I already was speaking to God, right? I was like doing that relational therapy and Jesus. That's what I say I, I recommend it, okay? Therapy and Jesus, because I had to do the inner emotional work through myself um before because his apology, I mean, his apology was cool, but it, I wasn't waiting on like, that you didn't for me need to. It. Yeah, yeah, like I didn't need it, but it was nice to have, if that makes sense. Um, makes because I think when we are expecting other people to do stuff, that's where disappointment comes in. Now we're in another cycle or something else when I already forgave you before the conversation. So whether if you did it or not, it wouldn't, I mean, I ain't gonna say it don't matter, but whether if you apologize or not, it wouldn't affect the process of my healing. That's Got it. Now, one thing that we do have to acknowledge is forgiveness does not indicate that it's a forgotten thing, like you said earlier. Mm. And obviously you've been through your own trauma responses and therapy and everything. If you two were in the same room, are you uncomfortable? Are you past that? Do you think that it's no worries or is it still a process for you? Because it's not just about Jasmine because I, I love Jasmine to death, right? So it's not just about Jasmine. It's about the other girls that might be hearing this or the other yeah. young boys that might be hearing this, right? So um, is that something that you also had to overcome or have you not had a chance to overcome that yet? So in that particular story, not with him, but I had a relative uh, who, uh, older person um, close to me, uh, you know, molested me when I was younger, about 11, um, and lied about it when I kind of told, when I spoke about, about it, and um, tried to paint a picture of just me being a liar. Right. And that's one of the attacks of the enemy of muzzling your voice. Um, and also just to encourage people, when you do speak forth on sexual abuse or molestation um, and you're the only one, you break the curse on the bloodline um, because now you have opened up and exposed something that was there. So I didn't know that at 11 when I went to my parents and told them what happened. Um, I learned that uh, maybe a, a year ago about being open ended breaking the curse. What I also did is I told my testimony on Facebook about it um, and I forgave him. So I'll, real quick, I'm going to sum this up because this is important. So from 11 to 22, I uh, my dad, I told my parents, nobody really did anything about it. Very had a lot of resentment towards my dad for it. Felt kind of like, oh, you chose him over me. And that for me indicated that my dad loved him more than me because that's the lie of the enemy working in my mind because I respected my father to respond in a certain type of way and he didn't. Again, maybe tools my father didn't have. My father's not confrontational, whatever the case may be. 22 
years old, going through social work, dealing with genograms, dealing with your family history, not writing up things that happened. It sparked out this thing, coming outside, crying, because now it's exposing trauma inside of me that I've carried for 11 years of just feeling like nobody stuck up for me. Nobody no, nobody defended me, you know? Um, and so long story short, called my dad, had a conversation with him, asked him why he never did it. My father and I went out to eat. We had multiple conversations throughout the years. Every year as a cycle, I would have these spells of crying. I would have these spells of feeling like, why didn't nobody defend me? Why didn't you say anything? How come do you love him more than me? At 25 and 20, I'm still having these things of going on because I couldn't understand why something happened. So long story short, um, I was able, one day I told God, I'm tired. I'm tired of, because uh, I thought I forgave him, but I really didn't. That's the thing. I kept saying, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. And clearly it wasn't because it was still happening. So one day I just told God, I'm tired. I'm tired of carrying the burden. I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired. Um, and then I said, you know, God, I forgive him. And I meant that with everything in my heart. And I literally lied to you now. I felt like something lifted off of my shoulders supernaturally. And I literally went down in my car and it just was like something just lifted because I forgave him. So now, and I went up to him at my grandfather's, uh, my grandfather died and I went up to him when we got to see my grandfather's body. Um, and I told him I forgive him in his face. And I said, I forgive you. And he thought I was talking about something else. And I said, nah, when I was 11 years old and I reiterated and I said, the 29 year old woman is sticking up for the 11 year old girl. And um, he was like, oh, you know, he asked me for forgiveness. I said, I forgave you before I even came up to you. Mm. And, you know, and I told him I loved him and gave him a hug. I've had, I've seen him since. And I, it, it is weird at times because I do remember that to answer your question. Um, it's weird, but it doesn't trigger any like hatred emotion. But it can't, it makes me, I do feel awkward at times. Like even being older at 35 and that happened, it's like, but I try to kind of renew my mind. Like, like it's okay. Like just certain things. Like if I give you a hug, it's going to be like, or you know what I mean? Like there's certain things I just won't do because of just our thing. But right. But the, the emotion of that won't come up, but it's still, it's still awkward a little bit. Like, I mean, he doesn't live here. He doesn't live in New Jersey and stuff like that, but it's still awkward. That's all I can say. And I just navigate the best way I can. I mean, you know what I mean? I just navigate yeah. through it. That's all you can do, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, this was, this episode was so informative, therapeutic. Yes. <laughs> we did learn a lot about you, Jasmine, in a short amount of time. And I do appreciate you telling your story to that level of vulnerability. Um, but just to lighten up the last few minutes of the episode, <laughs> we are coming to an end. We don't want to keep all of your Friday. Um, so we do a segment called Happy Hour Moment. So this mm -hmm. is just a moment that we want to share, that we're manifesting something that may have happened already that we're proud of. So for you, do you want to share a happy hour moment with our listeners? Um, I'm excited to see... Uh what God is going to do through me. I'm just I'm just waiting in expectation. I just have, my faith has increased and I'm just willing to do whatever God is going to do. Um, I just moved to Texas in August. I took a okay. leap of faith. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Uh, you like, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just, 
yeah, God told me to come and I, I left my job and everything. My family behind came by myself. So um, I'm just waiting to see what God has planted here for me. So that's what I'm super excited for. I don't really know what it is. I know he hasn't really uncovered everything, um, but I'm excited for that. I know it's going to be big. Everything's big in Texas, baby. Yes, it is. <laughs> I love that for you. Aaron, what is your, your happy hour moment? Um, obviously I'm happy that Jasmine was able to bless us today. Um, but I'm also happy that we are in this season, right? Thanksgiving just passed. Christmas is coming up. New Year's is following. And this is all a season of thanks, a season of giving and a season of newness. Um, and I think all of those things is paramount right now where we're just continuing to be in a state of gratefulness. Um, just appreciating everything that we get, um, every breath that we take. And just keep going. Like we, yeah. we all on the right path. We all moving forward. Um, I don't know if y'all ever seen the, the movie Meet the Robinsons. It's one mm -hmm. of my favorite cartoons. I it, think I have. Yes. Got to keep moving forward, y'all. And at the end of the day, we going to get there. Life is not like I have this analogy where you on a track, right? You run a track. It's a finish line on a track, but that finish line is not for you. It's an infinity circle you just keep on going you just keep on going you only stop when you need to stop so just keep moving forward y'all we got this keep going guys we got this i would say for my happy hour moment um speaking of being in a time of love and family and holiday season recently i was able to do a lot of um well i was able to bless my family financially in different ways that i haven't in the past mm -hmm. so yeah this does go back to me waiting for that job that i finally received to now be in a position to help out the people who took care of me growing up so i was able to do that over the past week and i just felt it was just a feeling of I don't know. Like, it was just like love. It was just very overwhelming for me. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very happy that I was able to do that for my family. And I'm looking forward to 2024 to continue to do big things, not only for myself, but for the ones around me. And yeah, like, can't wait. Let me wait. It's blessing and waiting, man. I tell you, that's just that's a testimony within itself. You waited and your waiting allowed you to have overflow. Your overflow was able now to to bless. It was bigger than you. Your weight was bigger than you. And that's it the was. word within itself. Mm -hmm. The waiting is bigger than you. It is not just you. It's it's for you to be able. It's the oil that's going to come off and the flow. Yeah. So it's just like that within itself is a testament <laughs> right there. I and waited for a job and my waiting opened the door for me to have overflow to bless my family. Not only did God bless me, but he blessed the, my family through it me. Through me, I'm the lender, okay, not the borrower. <laughs> and I love that. No, that's definitely what has happened. And um, even my grandma, she's turning 75 next Wednesday. So she is the eldest of the family. And she's always told me that like, I was born for a reason. Like her and my mom don't have the best relationship, but I have the best relationship with my grandma out of everyone in my family, which is crazy. So she always said that I was born for a reason, like to break different kinds of curses, not only financially, but emotionally and like family dynamics. So just to see that things are now starting to fall into place. That's yes. for me, that's just everything. So. You know, them 1948 babies, you know, shout, out to, takes, grandmother. shout out to my grandmother. Yeah. 
All right. It takes well, one. It only takes one, right? So yeah, we're gonna be that one in the family. But Jasmine, this was amazing. Aaron, of course, great co-host. <laughs> yep. So uh, we're gonna put all your links and everything in the description of our episode. But any oh. last words you wanna give our coworkers? Um, stay encouraged. Uh, God is with you. He's able. He loves you most of all. God loves you and he's a forgiving God. Uh, my prayer is that you see God on your own so that you would know him for yourself. Um, it is the best and greatest decision I have ever made in my life is to know who Jesus is. And that is my prayer for you, that you will know him. Bye. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, on that note. Wait a minute. What? If you would like to also join the We Outside Out to Work podcast, make sure you hit up our Gmail at woawpod at gmail.com. And with that being said, that being said, I'm going to skip that part. Yep. We outside and we out. Bye. Bye.